welcome. Good evening and good evening, Ayabondo. Good evening to your listeners. Thank yeah, you for having me. You must be exhausted. Must have been a very, very, yeah, long uh, past few nights for you. It is very exhausting, but we are fine. We have to keep on moving. Yeah, indeed, indeed. I think a lot more work still awaits you. Uh, lawmaking yes. and legislative work, I guess, to give effect to some of the things uh, that were shared with us today. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe, DJ, just as we start, I want us to, to just speak briefly about some of the assumptions uh, that uh, the budget office is making around, um, you know, the economic outlook. Uh, I've just mentioned now to our listeners the sort of assumptions of the Brent crude oil price, but also big assumptions are being made on where commodity prices might be. Because we can see when they're favorable, they certainly, you know, bring in a lot more money than we sometimes expect. Talk to me about what you're expecting from an outlook perspective and, of course, also the outlook for growth. Look, I, I, uh, it, it, you, you could say it's low, uh, averaging at around 1.5, 1. 1.5% 1. over the three years. Uh, but if you think about it, um, it's not. It's not because... Uh, we are coming from a very, uh, you know, um, low base. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, looking at where COVID was and the impact, and looking also at where where we wanna be at, uh, we we think we think there is room. Um, and secondly, the the, the structural just I mean, I'm sorry, the structural reform program that we have to embark on in earnest this time around will really put us where we want to be at. So I think we shouldn't underestimate what and where we want to be at uh, because the reality is that if, if, we, if we do, we will we'll find ourselves wanting. So I'm, I'm thinking that 1.8% that we are, you know, that, 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 that the assumption that you are making there is something that I think makes sense and sure. we have to really rally around that and do things and do what we have to do around there. So, yeah, uh, that average, uh, next year we think we'll grow at 2.1%, uh, 1.6 in 2023, and 2024, 1.7. Uh, but I, I think, the, the, you know, we, we think this is realistic enough. Uh, the economy, uh, you know, and all of the things that you're talking about, whether it's commodity prices, whether it's the administrative price review that we did, and the investments, uh, that you want to make uh, on the gross fixed capital formation, mm. uh, all of those, all of those uh, can only be, uh, you know, uh, positive for us if we address all the structural constraints that, that we have outlined in this budget today. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk just briefly, I guess, about uh, the, uh, you know, budgeted uh, estimates of revenue, and I guess what ended up coming into the kitty. Uh, we saw massive showing on the part of corporate income tax. Uh, you know, uh, also, uh, I guess, a strong showing for value-added tax, uh, higher collections than what were anticipated, and also mineral and petroleum royalties also coming in much higher than expected on the back of favorable prices. But just on corporate income tax, personal income tax, and VAT, um, I mean, what do you make of that outcome? And more importantly, I guess, has that influenced your decision to reduce corporate income tax? And if not, uh, then I guess what might explain that decision? Firstly, we, we want to keep certainty in our budgeting system and framework. We promised, and for good reasons, last year around that we will re- review corporate income tax uh, during the last budget uh, presented by Minister Boweni at the time. So firstly, I think giving certainty to market and giving certainty to business that want to come in, we thought we must go that route and put some relief uh, in order for us to be able to uh, increase uh, you know, possibilities of new investments, 
increased possibilities of new employment creation, and we think that's going to come through. Now, effectively, when you do something like that, it has got a boost uh, in the economy. Uh, it's got a potential for income, personal income tax and VAT uh, to actually can move. It can move in the right direction. The kind of uh, uh, you know uh, movement that you want to see on those two particular. So I think a move uh, towards corporate income tax reduction was a good one, and, and not only because we promise, but we think it can do well. Mm. We see a boom that the commodity price. Uh, and the boom that we saw that brought us as temporary. We see it as a windfall. We don't want to treat it as a permanent feature uh, because if we do so, we may lock ourselves into permanent type of expenditures that uh, in future we may not be able to fund. And then and that only don't really impact on our borrowing requirements. So we are careful and we are being very, uh, you know, um, you know, um, cautious as you approach as, as you approach this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I guess, you know, just on, uh, I mean, the same tax measures, are, are they indicative, I guess, of a rebound? Yes, albeit of, of a very low base, constrained consumer spending, I guess, in the case of VAT and, uh, you know, even in terms of personal income tax, a lot of people losing their jobs um, and that would have had a drag on, on, on PIT. But, I mean, this, this rebound, if I can call it that, um, is this a signal that I guess there is a rebound both in the labor market but also in demand conditions in the economy? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the easing of the pandemic-related restrictions, of course, supported the return in 2021 to, you know, better economic growth. I think that on its own was a big thing. Um, as you correctly said, communities say that at elevated levels, and I think it's something that, uh, you know, does significant improvement in the revenue performance, sure. and we welcome that, and I think it's something that we could, should continue to welcome that. And that is obviously demonstrated with, on the, with the numbers. Okay. I mean, VAT, DG, you, you look at VAT. DG, uh, let's do this, let's do this, DG. We'll, we'll come back on this issue of VAT. Sorry, I've got a okay. spot break <clears throat> nearing on us and uh, we must take okay. it because I, we don't want to come and beg for a bailout. The headlines, the headlines on Metro FM Talk. Yeah, seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. I'm in discussion with the Director General at the National Treasury, Dondo Mukhajane. And uh, DG, before we had to go to uh, that break, I guess you were making a point there uh, on uh, the rebound of uh, value-added tax. So uh, please continue on that score. Yes, I was just making a point that if you look at that and its performance uh, vis-a-vis the 2021 budget, a 15.9% increase in terms of the estimate is something that we think if the economy is performing well, yes. uh, this number can only increase. So if you account for, for, for the 2021-22 estimates and they are as good as they show, and the total, uh, you know, um, you know, 15.9% and things, by just looking at that on, on its own, tells you it can only be good returns if we get all of the basics right including removing all of the constraints in this economy. And you, you can actually see that number increasing uh, year on year in, in 21, 22, and 22, 23. So that's the point I wanted to make, that it is performing among the highest. Uh, uh, and, and so, yeah, and then we were talking about commodity prices earlier. Yes. And I was also saying regarding commodity prices is that it's a boom. You must treat it as such currently and, and as a windfall and only use it on both programs that can, one, uh, you know, reduce, and we've done that in this budget, reduce the deficit levels, and we successfully did that, including also addressing some of the interventions that we, make, we need to make in improving uh, productive sectors of the mm. economy, and we did that. And, of course, 
finally we said, let's give some tax relief to ordinary South Africans um, and let's give tax relief uh, to, to corporate income tax to boost. And finally, we say, SRDs here is on us, 44 billion rand. Let's address the most vulnerable and actually make provision for those whilst we're thinking through what's best for the future and how the social environment, the security environment should be like for the future. Yeah. DG, this pursuit of a budget surplus, I mean, where, you know, revenue is higher than non-interest spending, I guess if we just to put aside, uh, you know, the capital and interest payments on debt, just for a second. Um, I mean, the rationale for that, uh, I think even by your own admission, you know, households have taken a beating from, from this pandemic, so have firms, um, and I guess many people might be asking, why is it, you know, in such a subdued environment, we would want as an aspiration uh, to run a primary budget surplus? No, look, I mean, ask yourself, then what does that do, running a, a primary uh, in a surplus? What it does, it, it actually talks to your ability to repay debt. Uh, it has got an impact in terms of your debt service costs in future. So uh, many investors would be interested in, in, in that primary surplus, and, and, and uh, you know, and, and if it's there, and it, 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 it's something that that demonstrates that we are able as South Africa to contain our spending, then surely uh, you know we can attract debt and, and and cheaper for that matter. So it's also in our interest to, to keep it as as as, as low as possible. Um, and so, that's so what a better I think, credit and that's score. How we should be seen. So a better credit score. Zero, DG. The more we should be excited and happy. Okay, so so DG, the suggestion is that it gives us a, a good credit score. It's a good signal about our capacity to repay debt. Is it a good signal yes. as part of our growth story, though? It is. It is because when that happens, what happens to your main budget balance? It reduces. Your main budget balance is your receipts vis-a-vis your yes. your 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 your, your, your expenditure. Uh, and, and, and then, then it reduces. Uh, as if, you, if you look at the current numbers, our deficit currently is, is, is revised at 5.5, and we're projecting it to reduce to minus 4.5 in, in, year, in, 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 year, in, year, in year three uh, mm. of, of, of the current NPS that we presented today. Yes. So it's a good story, uh, and, and, and I think it's something that we must maintain, whereby our main budget uh, revenue should continue to increase and 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 and, and reduce expenditure uh, in a way that is uh, you know can still are able mm. to spend on those programs uh, that we've committed ourselves to yeah, without yeah. creating a distortion in the economy. Okay, let's talk a bit more about expenditure, uh, DG, uh, and I want us to start with ESCOM. Uh, so, but I guess from 2019, around 136 billion spent uh, on ESCOM. Uh, the expectation is that through to 2020. 526 so uh, additional 88 billion will be spent uh, to try and deal with energy availability issues and uh, decommissioning of fleet and all of that um so while i guess we do see in the um you know 2022 23 financial year allocation of around 28 21.8 billion um one wonders i guess where where the other you know uh, remaining amount to get us to the 88 billion will come from because it doesn't seem that the Estimates of uh, the medium-term expenditure period uh, make allocation for it, uh, 6.6 and 6.9 in the outer two years of the MTF. Um, maybe if you could just explain that to us, uh, DG, 
where in terms yeah. of funding, I guess, whatever requirement it might be for capital, investment in transmission for ESCOM, where in the outer years of the next, you know, three years, some of that money is going to come from? Because I guess we don't see it in the expenditure trends and estimates. Look, insofar as ESCOM is concerned, don't forget that three years ago, we made a commitment to fund ESCOM by almost $230 billion in the next 10 years. That's the commitment we made, and we divided that and say in 10 years we'll give them $23 billion. Okay. Of course, that number has been you know, fluctuating based on the need, yeah. and we're almost flexible. But if you look at $23 billion per year uh, for the remainder of the last, last few years, that commitment we are keeping, and that's the commitment uh, number that I think when you aggregate that number, it will, it will arrive at that. So that, that's the commitment we are putting on the table. And wait, we, we are, we wait, are saying, you, sorry, sorry, so that I'm, I'm just following. Um, so is the suggestion that the remainder, so if it's 88 and then you take away the 23, what's left there around, what, 55? Or oh, sorry, 65, somewhere there? Uh, so is the suggestion that that would be in the outer years or in the next In the outer years. two years, yes. yes oh, exactly. Okay. So the, the funding stream is, is guaranteed in that way, and we don't want to tamper with it because we want to give certainty to that funding stream so that ESCOM is able to, to actually approach markets and, 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 and knowing that they've got a backing from us. But uh, what Minister of Finance is saying is that we cannot just let that be the case or, you know, without actually demanding of some, uh, you know, responsibilities on the ESCOM side. What is ESCOM going to be putting on the table in terms of its own uh, addressing of its own shortcomings, its own cost structure? And I think that's something that we're going to have to emphasize as we deal with this challenge that they have, because it's a bigger issue. It's not, it's not, only, it's not only about giving them money, but we also want them uh, to address their debt, as Minister said. Uh, and we have to be careful because we don't want to upset the market around how the debt of ESCOM is going to be addressed. But we have to be open-minded, and that's the discussion, obviously, we'll in earnest have with them about how to address ESCOM debt, what conditionalities, what assets they must minister mentioned today that they will have to dispose of certain assets, whether it's the, uh, you know, their finance corporation, which is not core to their business. Do they have to... Let's ask ourselves some questions. Minister of Finance is asking, are there any cool assets that they must sell and what does that mean if they sell their cool assets? So I think the conversation with ESCOM here cannot only... Do they have to exit people? I don't know. Uh, in, uh, and remember, they've also got a bigger challenge than in terms of their own transitioning into a just, just transition. Yes. The whole climate change obligation and the obligations that we made uh, in, in COP26, we have to ensure that ESCOM becomes green, more greener than it is now, and ESCOM more becomes sustainable, so those are questions that I guess when you look at ESCOM, don't only look at it in terms of what is spending, but look at it in terms of its future sure. and what exactly you want to get out of ESCOM. Let's talk about uh, social assistance. Uh, social Relief of Distress Grant, uh, I guess an allocation made there uh, for the next 12 months. And uh, I, I guess then in your you know estimations, that SRD grant goes back to its pre-COVID 19 levels um and uh, i guess uh, that's also on the back of uncertainty around what what will happen after that 12 months but i want us to maybe just hone in on um, you know some of the other ones child support grant care dependency grant and the old age grant if we factor in inflation population growth 
Um, some of these have grown in negative real terms. Uh, foster care down, negative 4.9%, even if you exclude those old age grants, potentially the only one where uh, you're kind of close to, I guess, covering inflation and maybe population growth. Um, And the child support grant increasing also by 4.8%, but maybe in real terms, uh, really increasing in negative terms. What's the thinking there? Because I guess, in a sense, even though a big chunk of this budget goes to social assistance and to debt service, um, the growth path of that spending over the next three years or so is seemingly negative in real terms. Look, I mean, unfortunately, that, that, that's what it is uh, in terms of just the average annual growth over the three years, whereby you see a minus 3%. I mean, sorry, yeah, or just the social protection expenditure. And you're right, child support grant increased by 48 old age, okay, by see another 58 and foster care, you know, the care dependency in less than, less than inflation at 3.6, and then granting aid about 5.7. So, you, you know, I, I would rather approach the conversation like this. Um, you know, it's level inflation, but however, it is at least addressing the basics. Whilst on the other hand, we are expanding uh, the net. While exp- on the other hand, we're expanding the social distress. Forty-four billion is a lot of money in the bigger scheme of things to spend in one year on one program. So, um, and, but, and but remember, this admit, is all DG. in the backdrop of DG. Uh, just what we see as temporary, what yes. we see as a windfall, when we clearly have to see some, uh, you know, economy, uh, you know, sorry, sorry, just to see some, some you know, economic performance increasing to levels that it becomes comfortable with. But so DG, balancing that DG. was quite difficult uh, to just maybe increase all of these grants by a minimum, uh, yeah. you know, one understands and it's been like that even last year. Uh, but the reality is that, again, it's the choices that we have to make with, with all of the demand that this budget of social security puts on the fiscal as a whole. But I think, TG, you would admit, I mean, with the supply chain crunch that we see with where inflationary expectations are, uh, it might seem as a sucker punch really for poor households uh, who are in the main benefit from grants of this kind to... To, say, to see in real terms a negative rise uh, in these grants while seemingly seeing, I guess, you know, expanding allocations in other areas. Um, I mean, w- w- maybe talk us through that balancing act because it might seem, you know, very harsh on the part of many of those who are on the receiving end of these grants. I mean, if I think about the foster care grant um, and many of the grants that really think and contribute to really subsidizing the effective and care tasks within the ambit of the home. W- how does that balancing act play itself out? Look, it, it, it shouldn't be seen as harshness. It shouldn't be seen as harshness. I think here I normally say, Ayabonga, uh, it, it, it's a matter of how do we stretch the the, the, red, the small rent that we have for us to be able to address all our, our requirements and needs. I mean, the same argument can be used previously. You'll know that two years ago, I mean, I put up a, not a fight, but a, a very detailed, uh, affidavit against why we should not honor the last year of of, of, of salary increase for public servants. Mm. Now, we didn't do that because it's something that I like doing. And remember, it's not even inflation, inflation increase, it's just zero increase. All because of affordability levels while still, uh, you know, protecting uh, income, uh, you, know, uh, you know, receiving some form of income. So, again, it, it, it's the choices that we have. 
should we be protecting at least the days, increasing the number, of course, because more people qualify every day, new, new grant recipients coming. So you have to balance that vis-a-vis again, just saying, okay, we cannot stop taking any more mm. because you're going to be giving more uh, inflation links uh, increases. So I know it is a bad call that sometimes, but it was all as a, as a result of the numbers that we are working with at the time. Sure, so, sure. But in avoiding that, what should you do? In avoiding that, let's grow the economy. Let's grow the economy in order for tax revenues to come through, in order for us not to grapple with yeah, this issue okay. or even fight about whether you're giving inflation-linked increases or not. Because I know and you know that we have to give yeah. at least minimum inflation-linked increases. But I think, uh, you know, we, we're interested in growing it through redistribution. So, I mean, if you look at the propensity of poor households to spend uh, rather than maybe those at the top end of the distribution. That, that's where, you know, you're able to collect it in improvements in VAT as we were talking through earlier on. But let's maybe just leave that one for a second because I think we're taking more time than uh, yeah. you, had, you had agreed to give us. Last one on my end. And I guess it's a question that applies both uh, to what we saw in the budget votes for, you know, industrial incentives, financing and all of that. And of course, employment and labor. Um, good allocations coming through for the presidential employment uh, a stimulus program, but we're also seeing some declines in public employment services, the labor centers, negative 9.7% there. And similarly, a decline in industrial incentives, negative um, 4.8% there, uh, which I guess uh, really are two sides of the same coin. Um, difficult for work seekers, but also dif- difficult for, for many industrial firms that are looking to you know, get to full capacity utilization, and hopefully that might come with jobs. Look, um, again, it's a balancing act. I mean, the presidential employment program, 18 billion over two years, uh, and is going to address it's the same clients that they're dealing with. Sure. The same clients of like, work seekers, uh, on one hand, it's more targeted, uh, and, you know, it's one thing to just have a program for the sake of having a program, and if it's not performing historically, then reduce it, uh, and then and then let there be more new interventions. And I think this is what this presidential employment program is coming with. Now, with incentives, I think we must step back sometimes, and not doing really needy, but we have to do it in line with what industry would have expected, and whether clearly these subsidies or these incentives are addressing what we need to be support, uh, looking at. We've never had a, a, a proper, detailed review of incentives, which we have to do, by the way. Whether these incentives are doing are doing the right, creating the right sectors and improving the right sectors. We all know this, uh, in, you know, the promoting the incentives program currently. Uh, we should be asking ourselves, is it doing what you want to do, that the jobs are the jobs being created, those motor cars are they exported, what does it do to our export, etc. If it's doing well, and the review suggests that, you must then pump more money. But there are some industrial incentives where there's less performance mm-hmm. in terms of uh, the impact that this has. And I think the key principle that we do, I mean, that we follow to the treasury, is that if something is not beneficial, something is not performing, reduce, cut, or even stop and, or exit completely from that program if it not, doesn't give you the outcomes that you, that you want and the outcomes that will improve uh, the sector that you are trying to address. You will find if you have to go into details in terms of some of the incentives that you're talking about, they fall in that category where the value of keeping them at those levels is not necessarily the same. You don't want to stop it, but you want to scale it down in terms of the program that is attempting and redirecting that money to other sectors in this particular 
example, we obviously are popping, popping up, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the presidential employment program by almost 18 billion over two years. Okay. DG, as always a pleasure catching up with you. We're going to have to leave thank it there. Uh, yeah, so much to discuss, so little time, but thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Aroma. And, thank uh, you. Yeah, kudos to you. I mean, we heard uh, the uh, finance minister there saying you had been there for 23 years. Uh, so, yeah, certainly a very uh, seasoned hand, uh, the director general at uh, the uh, National Treasury, Dondo Mohajane. What do you make of that? We'd love to hear from you. Do send through those voice notes and uh, we'll uh, take a listen to those after this. Now you can have your steak and eat it at Spur. Because our 350 degree flame seared 200 gram rump or sirloin served with Spur style crispy onion rings and golden chips is now only $99.90. Up the steaks and upsize to 300 grams for just 30 rand. Up the steaks even more by adding any steak topper for only $22.90. So come hungry and save at Spur. People with a taste for life. T's and C's apply. We know that people get big mad at us when they can't find us. Had it's like the time we hosted an event. We said free entry before 9 p.m.